They'll get you, my pretties! In honor of The Conjuring, the devil made me do it, what's your favorite cinematic witch? Uh, I'm Kitty Rich, and I don't know that she was technically a witch, but the girls thought she was, and it's Janine Garofalo's waitress character in Now and Then. I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with a classic one. Anne Hathaway, looking like a xenomorph in The Witches. A classic. Mm, Classic. Hey, it's me, David Seven. I'm going with an animated one. It's Mommy Fortuna from The Last Unicorn, memorably killed, at least traumatizingly to me, uh, by a harpy. Uh, and I am David Ehrlich, and I don't know, I'll, I'll lean into the brand this week and go with the witches from Macbeth as they're portrayed at the beginning of Kurosawa's Throne of Blood. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here, this is the war room! Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 351. It is Pandemic 63. It is the week of Wednesday, June 2nd, and that is the day that in 1835, P.T. Barnum and his circus began their first tour of the United States. Now, Katie, okay, all... we'll sing a few bars from the circus musical. Uh, I really only, I only know the one song. Never saw it. Wait. Na 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 na, rewrite the stars. Something like that. <laughs> I'm feeling Dave's it. Grooving. Yeah. Put your name in the sky. Touch the sky by abusing elephants. Elephants <laughs> that murder you. Murder for elephants. Water for elephants. <laughs> this version I like is Dave's uh, circus musical. Um, thank you all for listening to our quarter quell last week. Hope you enjoyed it. I really. I've enjoyed thinking about Independence Day for um for mm. in the week since. I've been thinking a lot about it. Yeah. Mm. And uh because there's been so much UFO news in like the New Yorker had that bombshell ish UFO story about how the government doesn't think oh, there's just... doesn't consider them UFOs, they consider them phenomenon of skies. Like they don't think it's <laughs> earthly and it's like, are aliens real and would we care if they were? Like, would you care? Someone asked me this question over the holiday weekend. Would what what would your life fundamentally change if you found out aliens were real? And after watching Independence Day, my answer was no, because I need hmm. to see them. I need to like see that ship coming through the sky and be like, holy shit. But <laughs> but just knowing they exist, I don't think my life would change on a day to day basis. I guess I guess you're saying knowing that they exist out there somewhere and are not messing with us in any way. Like presumably, not aliens exist, and they're coming to conquer the Earth. That would change your life. I think, I think we would be tough. That would be a tough pill yeah, to yeah, I think yeah. we would. I think they would have done it already. Mm. Yeah. The the biggest shift that we have already lived through in terms of aliens is the singer from Blink One Eighty Two when he sang "Aliens Exist." Not only did he think he was telling the truth, but was telling the truth. I know. Mm. But and the thing is that, like, uh, the aliens in Independence Day and the aliens in so many of these movies are coming to strip mine the Earth of our resources. And now I feel like there's no way that journey could <laughs> be worth the it. effort. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, true. There's just like, what could they hope to get out of us? That's hilarious. Um, you know, our sun is. Uh, I, I suppose they would want to colonize things that are close to our sun for that power potentially. I don't know. I'm not an alien, they or can am terraform. I? Terraform. Well, but you know what's going to happen, David? We will become the invading alien species, and you can learn more about it in a movie called Avatar. Wow. Yeah. David. I guess that unobtainium. You were. Mm-hmm. Um, well, David, you want to talk some more? Do you want to tell us David. about the reviews? Uh, 
David. Do I want to talk some more? She asks. Um, <laughs> how naive. Uh, yes, I'm happy to say that we do have several reviews. Um, I, I'm not sure if you guys actually read any of these on the episode we did right before the quarter quell when I was seeing F9, but... No, no we did we not did have not any have... reviews. Yes. And uh, Dave got to talk I about his in... dumb video game. Usually I got C three PO. It was great. I, well, oh, you can't oh, talk okay. about it. No, you can't. Nope. Yeah, uh, yeah. Usually, I listen to the episodes I'm not on, but I have was sure getting into the, my first ever audiobook, <laughs> which was the Seth Rogen yearbook. That was oh, that sounds pretty, the that sounds like machine. a good audiobook choice. It was fun. I mean, he gets an all star cast to come in and read some voices. It's amusing, and uh, I was listening to the elliptical. It's ten hours long, and so I'm way behind on my podcast right now. Anyway. Uh, we do have a handful of reviews. I'll read a couple of them. We'll save some for next week. Uh, or we'll, well, maybe we shouldn't just to keep the, the threat looming over people. But uh, Seriously Good says, you the best. This has been one of my favorite podcasts for several years. Now the world is starting to wind down pandemic-wise. I thought it was about time I thanked you all. Fighting the War Room has been a very comforting presence in my life and was especially help- helpful this past year by providing me with an extra thing to look forward to every week while in the midst of a pandemic isolation. Each member of the pod indispensable, and I hope to continue listening to your conversations slash bickering for many years to come. Also, a special shout out to David for being a juror on this year's Long Distance Film Festival. Your support is greatly appreciated. I assume in that case that Seriously Good, the author of this review, is involved in that film festival is that somehow. You yes, did? I don't recall. You uh, I, it's something I'm like currently in the middle of oh. doing, just uh, um, on a jury with a couple of our peers. Uh, I like that you say jurors. Like it's rural juror. Like a rural juror. We'll get to your outside Philadelphia accent later in the show, Patches. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, yes, that's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you very much for the review. That's seriously good. Deep Cuts Clothing says, the only thing more solid than Dogecoin. Um, in breaking news, I, David, have sold the like $30 in Dogecoin that I bought on a whim a couple weeks ago when I was drunk. Uh, did you make I money? Did, yeah. Did uh, nope. I <laughs> lost a little bit of money, and I decided that even if I made a little bit of money, it was simply too stupid to profit from, and mm-hmm. I had to uh, had to invest in something a little bit more credible. Anyway, is knowing I'll have another Fighting in the War Room podcast to look forward to this week? Oh, sorry. The only thing more solid than Dogecoin, and that's the headline of the review, and then the first sentence of the review is knowing I'll have another Fighting in the War Room podcast to look forward to every week. Yes, even more solid than Dogecoin, if you can imagine. We are more reliable than Dogecoin, and we're proud of that. We truly are. Uh, Like Dogecoin, our podcast lives and dies on what Elon Musk decides to tweet. Um, Also, another week of wondering if someone will shamelessly promote themselves during the review segment. Over on DeepCutsClothing.com, I just dropped a Solaris (laughs) 1972 shirt for Mother Russia and a communion shirt for old horror heads. I try to focus on some of the more underappreciated movies I think deserve more love and can't find merch for anywhere, like Angel's Egg, Jennifer's Body, Possession. I think we're missing a period here. Possession. Here's to bootleggers everywhere to try and rep the stuff they love. Can't believe you're still reading this. I love this show. Ahoy. That's deepcutsclothing.com. And Patches, can you, just for old time's sake and for mayor's sake, can you give us a, a good appreciated pronunciation? Appreciated. I'm, I feel like I've learned. I've come a, far, a long way, don't you think? Appreciated? Appreciate. This isn't about being right and wrong. It's not about learning or unlearning. I don't know what's right. It's just right. about the musicality of the way what? we all speak. All the what are our homes. homes. <laughs> We've all, we all been stuck <laughs> inside of home. our homes home. for the last year. <laughs> uh, 
Metal Dave eight one five says Galaxy of Heroes. Two weeks ago, I downloaded Star Wars Galaxy no. of Heroes. No. I never got this. Is, yeah, this <laughs> nope, is no, outlawed. Nope, no, nope. this can't be. Nope. If one guy's allowed to plug his bootleg T-shirts, the other guy is allowed to talk about the app that he downloaded. <laughs> you can't infiltrate the review segment. I never got around to playing it. Then I heard Dave Seven talk about C three PO reducing the cooldowns of all the other characters. I have now deleted. Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. <laughs> Very helpful review. Thank okay. you. That, that uh, Dave, you and I need to talk about C-3PO off pod, but we'll get there. Yes, um, L. Bohana says, delightful podcast. Thank you all. I've never reviewed a podcast. However, I listen to many a pod far too often. As much as I enjoyed hearing about murder bears, and I do truly love Star Wars, please let this review help us to forego the games slash leveling up slash weird C-3PO discussion. This podcast is fantastic, and I thoroughly enjoyed the quiz quiz episode. Clearly, I should have placed a review stating such. Last week, when Katie queried, wait, is his name Jake Saw? I laughed in a way that seemingly provided an ab workout. Having never so seen glad. a single film in the Saw series, I now want and would gladly watch a Jake Saw movie. Many thanks. Thank you, El Bohana. And Katie, would I recommend, may I recommend rather, going into the offices of whoever runs Lionsgate and pitching them your chilling vision for a Jake Saw movie? They may. Yeah. Do what they did for they, Chris they, Rock. They want and... young Jake Saul. They're not <laughs> sure. The original like young Jake Sheldon. Saul. Yes. Yeah. Well, like Cruella. You can Cruella, call them Jake yeah. Saul's uh, horrifying origin story. And <laughs> finally, movie, we have... Jake Saul is good. He's kind of an anti-hero. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's the opposite. Right, exactly. It's his descent into madness. Finally, we have Rox Lacasa, who says, no more Galaxy of Heroes talk. Seems we've struck a very effective nerve. <laughs> hey, this show is great, and all the hosts are lovely human beings. Also, I, I really need to listen to whatever Dave said last week because uh, or two weeks ago because it really turned people off. You worked um, hard to make it entertaining. I want to give Dave boring. I have every belief that he did, but uh, it must have been so so compelling, comprehensive that people are like enough of the Star Wars. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, yes, even David is a lovely human being. This is a misguided reviewer. Uh, but I, for one, would like to not hear anything more about Galaxy of Heroes, a game I stopped playing well over a year ago. Rather, I would like to have Marvel Strike Force check-in, which is another awful gotcha-style mobile game that I'm still playing. I think David said he was playing it once, and Dave Seven is writing a book about Marvel. Both those things are true. So he could expense any dumb purchases he makes as research, question mark. Anyway, the show rules, and if by some miracle you, a random pod seeker, have read this far, you should check it out. I mean, I'm all for making the new, the new thing that we do when we don't have a review talking about the other awful gotcha game, Marvel Strike Force. I mean, I think we are. You don't play that too, do you? Oh, indeed, I do. What? I, I mean, I think I, I think we decided it's either time? either Katie or Patches gets to choose the niche subject Fine. of. I was about to punishment. say now that you have yeah, talked true. about it at length. It's true. I feel like we have passed the threshold. Uh, move it. We should be moving on to patches. A new I I think you're absolutely correct. I will say, in what time? That is unfortunately the the wicked beauty of these gotcha games. You can play them any you know, on the toilet, on a walk, uh, you know, whatever. Um, they're dangerous. On a walk, they're awful. Look up. They're compl- I, I should. I really should. <laughs> but I've yet to walk into traffic, so I must be doing something right. Uh, they are awful, and I will not stop until I am in League One of the Star Wars <laughs> Galaxy of Heroes uh, Arena you're going Championships. Too far. Patches, Katie, what should our next threat be? I'm going to have to ruin it. I don't know. What is I, know. I don't okay, do well, anything annoying. That's the problem. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, we will uh, let you guys vote. ruminate about that for over the next week. And next week, please re- provide us a review. We're still in the Star Wars zone for next week. But after that, on next week's episode, Katie and Patches will announce one of them, rather. We'll take the turn to announce what our next threat will be. 
and it will be devious and dark indeed. So look <laughs> I think I have to that. some good ideas. Thank you all for leaving us reviews. Uh, we love reading them live on the show, as you just heard. Uh, go on iTunes and Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review. Thank you. <laughs> uh, well, guys, movies open in theaters this past weekend. They've been opening in theaters for, you know, however long here and there. But there were two big ones. It was Cruella and A Quiet Place 2. Uh, neither of which I have seen, so I will not weigh in on either of them, but they both made money. That's how you know movies are back. We're not seeing them. I haven't seen them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, I was provided a link to Cruella from the studio, not of A Quiet Place 2, and I am probably too scared to see it anyway. Um, But A Quiet Place 2 made like $57 million, which is a lot, which I, to me, I feel like is what it might have made if it had opened a year ago. It is, I, like, what, I, it is, it is almost exactly what it was projected to make prior to the pandemic. That's pretty cool. Like basically that, and then Cruella made some money, but it was also on Disney Plus at the same time. I feel like that's a little bit uh, fuzzier, but it makes me feel like I can be excited that movies are coming back. Am I being, well, am I oversimplifying things? I, I be, I'm skeptical because, and maybe David and Dave will have additional info and insight here, but I think the big narrative of box office these days as we climb back is actually the second weekend because a lot mm. of these uh, first weekend movies, Mortal Kombat, Godzilla vs. Kong, um, Spiral a little bit, although Spiral kind of completely tanked. We talked about that, how it made less than Tenet. Um But these movies have bigger box office openings where people are pretty optimistic than the second weekend. They totally tanked. Um, mm. And I wonder if A Quiet Place 2 is everybody who will see A Quiet Place 2 coming at once. Yes, it's because they're Quiet feeling, Place 2. They've been waiting well, a that, whole yeah, year. Like, that... As opposed to last year's projection of A Quiet Place 2, which would have started there and had maybe like a 30% dip and gone down and down as people word of mouth caught it. I wonder if this is going to be like everybody who would have gone to see it because now there's a 45-day window until it comes to Paramount+. Plus. Not that people know that that is a real thing or I mean, that I think it's have so Paramount Plus, but you know. Yeah. Excuse me, Mark Wahlberg and Antoine Fuqua are about to put Paramount Plus oh, on the map. I have, uh, uh, I have seen this film. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's put that on the uh, schedule. We'll, we'll get there. Uh, it's, um, quite a thing. I, it's quite a thing. You know, I think it's a, a completely legitimate question <laughs> to ask about the second weekend drop-off, um, and it is one that only time will tell. However, probably is worth noting that Mortal Kombat, um, you know, is a movie that did well, it's opening weekend in spite of also being available on HBO Max. And I think there's probably logic that suggests that, you know, the people who are willing to go to a theater during a pandemic to see a movie they could see at home for no additional mm-hmm. price if they do subscribe to HBO Max um, are probably like those movies are probably going to know that because most of the people have already gone and made the effort for something for like A Quiet Place 2, which is not going to be on uh, any streaming service for 45 days, which in, you know, the olden days would seem like a really abbreviated hotel, you know, experience like window, you know, the kind of the, the middle ground, the second run when movies would pop up on hotels and airplanes. Uh, 45 days is still um, outside of the, the window of how long it takes most contemporary studio movies to make the bulk of their money. I believe the original Quiet Place made 93% of its box office money uh, yeah. in the first 45 days. So uh, I think next weekend, uh, just to reiterate what Patch is saying, will be particularly telling, but really only in regard to A Quiet Place 2. Um, I would not be surprised if numbers go down precipitously for Cruella. 
even though the $30 charge that Disney Plus charges for their premiere content um, rather than the HBO Max model might make a little bit of a difference there, um, you know, comparing that to something like Mortal Kombat. But uh, I, I think it's hard not to be a little optimistic about the numbers from this past weekend, just because, you know, they, they are clear as if we, I mean, it seems that we are always going to need more evidence of this because people are so eager to bury the old thing and move on with the new, even if, uh, you know, it's needlessly cannibalizing a lot of money and an industry that has a great sense of community and tradition and all these wonderful things. Um, there is absolutely no reason why theatrical releases shouldn't continue serving as ad campaigns for eventual streaming releases. And all these movies can end up on these streaming platforms anyway. Why not make some exclusive money? But yeah, six, nearly $60 million in the American box office in May of 2021, when only 70% or something of uh, chain screens in the country are open. It's good news. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a smaller amount of... It, it, it'll be interesting to see if it's like a, you know, rising water raises all ships sort of situation. And now we're at a place where, regardless if, it, if it's Quiet Place Part 2, if, you know, The Conjuring or something just steps in and now we have a front runner in that $57 million range. <clears throat> I think that would be as interesting as how much things could have legs because that would just indicate people are just going to the theater and it kind of doesn't matter if it has like a limited theatrical window or if you, you know, can opt to pay for more money for uh, streaming on Disney plus or something else. It's just going to be interesting to see if people go to the movies just for the sake of going to the movies. Yeah, it's like we it's like we've said in this podcast many times. I mean, the thing that theaters are competing against is not streaming necessarily uh, so much as it is restaurants and theater and other uh, activities that people do when they leave the house. And people are obviously itching to leave the house. I mean, this is obviously a statement that's only applicable to people who have who are fully vaccinated in the United States. And it's a very privileged position to be in all of a sudden in this world. But it feels like the world is safe to navigate for for those people for us um and they are ready to to get out there and do it and uh people are going to go back to the movies i do think it's going to be a little bit like you know people will go see whatever there is to see um and hopefully they will see things that remind them why they like going to the movies and it won't just be the novelty wearing off before they're like yeah you know i got that itch scratched and i'm happy to <laughs> I get my jollies elsewhere now. Before you realize um, your local AMC remains bullshit. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, picture, all those conversations. Uh, going mildly yeah, viral uh, this weekend from former guest of Fighting in the War Room, Todd Berger, uh, director mm-hmm. of The Disaster. And um, he went to the movie theater and some guy right in front of him, legs up, shoes and socks off. <laughs> Big toenails, just like <laughs> the movies are back, baby. And the movies. I mean, I think it's going to be a hard reality for people. I've seen a lot of kind of cynical tweets like, Jesus, right, this is what we were missing. This yeah. experience I mean- that was not policed at all by AMC or the multiplex staff. It's just like, no one gives a shit. This has happened to me not at a movie, but like going, like I, we went to like a rooftop restaurant and we're like sitting like upstairs and it was just like, a little breezy and chilly and like the chairs were metal and not that comfortable. It's like, oh yeah, I've only been sitting on my own furniture and with under my own temperature control for a year. I cannot handle slight discomfort anymore. That's a, uh, it's a hard reality awaiting all of us. 
Yeah, and, and to your yeah. point, David, I'll, I'll be curious to see if this summer is tough, even as, I mean, doors open and seats open and movies play that everyone wants to see, just because it's like, are people going to choose the movies, or are they going to choose going places and doing things and seeing people? Like, I still but have not movies, been to the hopefully movies. Hopefully both. I still not, thing is I like, haven't been to a movie theater yet. I mean, I guess I yeah. have had the opportunity, but uh, this weekend, <laughs> fully vaxxed, I chose seeing some other fully vaxxed people in in around my house sure well yeah. it's also because you know it was a quiet place part two and not dune or whatever the fuck you would have oh, really I been you know, clawing at the dune. walls to go see so <laughs> yeah, but i i, I do dune. think that um you know the movies are still uh as egregiously expensive as they've gotten are still uh one of the better values you can find for your dollar in terms of taking your family your partner whomever out for like a friday night's worth of entertainment um and uh they yeah they're going to be things that people want to see but it really it fills me with rage that the studios themselves don't seem to want don't seem to want to prioritize that experience and don't want to see them make it viable in the future and of course that the exhibitors the AMCs of the world and whatnot um, have not done anything in the past year this time to reflect uh, as we might describe them had they been canceled which in effect I guess they were um, to improve their their business and so. Um, other than just, you know, the, the, the sort of pandemic theater that they all have to build into their models now in terms of how they're keeping customers safe, or I guess in the Friday night news dump of no longer requiring mass or uh, letting that go out the window. But, um, yeah, I mean, if, if the movies were a pleasant place to be beyond just the experience of seeing a movie, the way it should be seen, uh, it would be even more of a non-issue. Um, but I do think that it is important for the lifeblood of the movies this this summer for people to to go and remind the studios in particular that this is a premium that people are willing to pay and how they want to ingest their spectacle, their their films on a first run basis. Um, well, we don't and, have a ton of movies know. maybe worth shelling out for. Or like go, I I don't know. I'm I, looking I, at the calendar right now and I'm just like, what is actually going to do it? People think. Uh, the critical community thinks In the Heights is is going to draw people. In, that in the way, Heights is going to be big. It? I, I, yeah, I mean, yes, In the Heights is definitely has an asterisk because it's also going to be available at home. I, ha- I have as of now had the sort of rare privilege of seeing it in both uh, theater and in on my couch, and uh, it is excellent, it, really wherever. But it is truly night and day. Um, I was actually pleasantly surprised that it was still sort of making the the hairs in the back of my neck stand up watching it at home, but it, it's still like, you know, transcendency in a room that's even, even a sparsely populated room, um, you know, being surrounded and uh, in, in seeing all these things that, you know, compared to the Broadway show are suddenly eight feet tall, the, the looks on actors' faces as opposed to being, you know, in the mezzanine where I was when I saw it on Broadway. I mean, it's like such a different experience. And I do think that people, it's an experience that people are really going to want to have together. I think horror is obviously the, horror and and the kind of broad comedies that Hollywood doesn't really make for theaters anymore are really the best suited to theatrical experience in terms of that communal vibe. But musicals are probably not too far behind um, just for the energy, uh, the the raucousness, um, that sort of slightly embarrassed buzz that a movie as earnest as In the Heights can create. Getting a lot of them this year. Cats out and In the Heights in is such a weird narrative for this (laughs) pandemic. I will say I'm really glad that it's in the Heights that has that summer slot and not um, what's that fucking movie? Dear Evan Hansen. 
which, oh, yeah. you know, oh, boy. The, I, when I saw that movie was going only theatrical, like I winced just for, you know, the sake of the theatrical, because like that movie will bomb and theaters will be blamed and it will be. Like it's going to be a I while know. before we have to blame Dear, Dear Evan Hansen for anything. You will but believe stuff will be... a geriatric millennial can be <laughs> a teenager. <laughs> the, yeah, I mean, the this movie, the movies ball. that are coming out this theater in theaters this summer you know they don't look like the cream of the crop and the ones that i think people are very excited about are also opening day and date at home you know black black widow will obviously sell out a lot of screens but um its opening will be diminished by it being available on disney plus um that's with a premium too i imagine right yeah yeah um but you know i think it's it's but I don't really going to put gonna on be the pants fall. to pay the premium <sighs> Oh boy, I don't want to know about who's watching Black Widow without putting on pants. But the uh, the fall is going to be real proving ground. But I think if we have a couple, if we have five, seven, the quiet place like opening weekends, I think we'll be in good shape. So I hope so. Who let the dogs out? Who let the dogs out? Who let the dogs out? Someone else talking about Cruella. I still haven't seen it. I probably will that never. Is... Should I ever see Cruella? Um, I think <laughs> once it's on Disney Plus, that if you have for free two for for the hours for... and twenty minutes of your time, that's, that's the thing. Yikes! If if, if it was a svelte ninety nine minutes, yeah. I would have paid money to watch. I'm not watch sure it. it justifies that that runtime. It gets pretty repetitive. It is a heist movie. It is a like a punk fashion movie it is a uh devil's where devil wears prada movie um and it gets repetitive they they do they go to a lot of galas over and over and over again but but um this movie's a bit wacko and it, it got off on the right start for me um with its opening scenes of young estella she's not actually named cruella she's estella uh when she's born into this world and um, this this movie is directed by Craig Gillespie. Gillespie? Mm-hmm. How do we pronounce his last Gillespie. name? It's certainly not the second one. Gilligutty? He did I, Tanya, And he's not my favorite director of the world. I think he's kind of a shoot for the suits kind of guy, commercial guy. And I, Tanya was not, a lot of people like that movie, not my cup of tea. This is veering in the right direction, but I thought it was interesting that it seems like it's on the wave, same wavelength. He definitely got hired because of I, Tanya to do this movie about someone whose story we don't really understand and who's been painted by the media as one thing and living her own kind of life as another. And, um, this, and, and I think he is taking more chances, luckily. Uh, and this movie starts by killing Cruella's mom in the most vicious way possible. Uh, Emma... Uh, Emma Thompson. Yeah, really, Thompson. the most vicious way possible plays, to kill someone. She, yeah, I, she I would plays take, I would wild, take issue with that. She plays the Baroness, this high fashion lady who's quite evil, and um, she has some Dalmatians at her party that uh, start chasing Estella around the grounds and then divert their attention to her mother, who happens to be standing on the cliffside, and then the dogs push her over a cliff. Mm-hmm. They push her over a cliff, and I lost my mind. I was laughing and i just couldn't believe it like oh the she hates dalmatians because they pushed her mom off a cliff and uh that that got off to the right that's a classic disney origin story really it yeah i never i didn't think about that in the moment like a lot of people who die off a cliff um but i i I thought that was a little surprising 
And and I think the movie has more of those moments throughout it. Uh, it has surprises. It has the not Disney tone more often than not. And, and that was enough to keep the kind of like gears turning of what's ostensibly product, Disney Park product. Um, but it, it, it's, not, it's not about... The Lion King, you know? It's not a copy-paste. It's, it's a movie. It's a real movie. Can I run to the list of the feature films Craig Gillespie has made? Mm. Um, yes, his Mr. his resume is Mr. Woodcock is the first one, then Lars <laughs> and the Real Girl, which came out the same year. Um, then the Fright Night remake, uh, which I very I viv- yeah. vividly remember interviewing him at Comic Con about that. Then Million Dollar Arm, that uh, John Hamm baseball recruiter, no, produced by he's Bill like Simmons. In, yes. Yeah, but like he's in India with cricket yes. players, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, hang really on, happened. The Million Dollar no, Arm. No then, legacy. Uh, the, the Finest Hours, the movie where uh, Casey Affleck and Chris Pine are boat captains, which rules. Love that movie. Rules uh, because it's basic ass shit. And yeah, basic ass like, shit. No, it's yeah, like okay. it's like a movie that was made in 1995 and then just right. somehow showed up, and I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, then I Tanya and uh, Corolla. It's and just, then he's doing uh, the and Pam, Pam and Pam uh, and Tommy, Tommy Hulu, Hulu series show. and um physical the Apple TV series coming up with uh, Rose Byrne. Who's a busy boy? Uh, a woman struggling in her life as a quietly tortured housewife who finds an unconventional path to power through an unlikely source the world of He just perfect. keeps saying the same thing over and over again. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of working about, and like, he's about empowered it, women but... he's, he's doing yeah. here. Interesting. David, uh, uh, not surprising enough for you? A, a bit of a slot? I mean, I have to say, my while I agree with, with the accusation of Corella being repetitive, the runtime was not a big turnoff for me. I think that you know, a movie like this that is a little bit outside of the Disney wheelhouse, getting some space to dig into its characters and to create a little bit of a world for itself and to stretch its legs is not the worst thing in the world. Uh, my overwhelming feeling watching Cruella is just, you know, the refrain that that I've heard on the internet. I've heard him bouncing around my own head for a long time and, and was just deafening watching this movie, which is just make new shit for the love of God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> make new shit. It, we like the the. I understand that a lot of the classic movies that our generation grew up with were based on old Disney properties or myths and ancient stories, Pocahontas, you know, whatever. But the the recycling of IP is a lot more egregious these days. I don't think that's much of a hot take. Where does it interfere and with the enjoyment of Cruella the fact for that you? like Where Cruella does it feel regurgitated? It, 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 the issue with Cruella in, in that regard is that the connection to Disney lore is so unnecessary. Uh, it's really just, I mean, I remember writing about this at the start of my review of Joker, of all things, of like getting to a world where where every smaller, weirder, and I use that with the biggest pull quotes imaginable, movie is going to be made uh, with a connection to superheroes. I mean, you do like Before Sunset, but it'll be about uh, Black Widow and Hawkeye meeting somewhere in a town. I mean, like that's just going to be what it is because people need some sort of IP connection in order to invest in these things. and. Uh, all of the smaller stories are going to die. And here's a movie that only, su- I mean, really suffers most when it's bending over backwards to connect to the Cruella that we sort of understand. But had Disney come out with sort of this brash original character whose mom had been killed by literally anything else um, and then went into a sort of uh, phantom thread meets the Devil Wears Prada uh, world here and had really run in that story and, and made this anti-hero, anti-heroine that that didn't feel like an, a spade version of a classic Disney villain, but was sort of allowed to be her own thing. 
the movie would have been a breath of fresh air. I think there would have had a lot more room to sort of become its own thing. Uh, I don't see how that and, movie ever exists, like even or, or would have existed twenty years ago. Like, what is the? Well, twenty years ago, it absolutely could have existed. I mean, Disney's live action stuff, like we're, like think of like the Princess Diaries. I mean, that is obviously a movie that's catered to a slightly younger audience, but there is an original property that makes a gazillion dollars um, and comes out. Of, I mean, like their live action unit used to be able to roll out original properties. I mean, there was something that kids trusted the brand, the Disney being the brand, and not the various things under the Disney umbrella, and that was enough. Um, and now I just everything is just so watered down and it's just even the moments where i was enjoying cruella and there were a few despite the fact that like robert zemeckis's sound guy has gotten work with the most obvious fucking needle drops in the world i could oh, not stand dear. it i mean it's Lord. like flight all over again but um, every other every five minutes is, a, is another needle drop it's really exhausting and they're all just the most obvious songs i mean it's crazy uh but the um yeah i mean the, the, whenever whenever it just drifted into Cruel territory because it needed to do this thing. It was just, it was kind of insufferable. Um, and then of course it, it, it has to follow the like Marvel playbook in the way that it sets up its sequel and all of its various characters. And they all have this sort of shared hub at Stark HQ or Cruella HQ at the end or whatever. I mean, it was just, it's just all so <laughs> recycled and watered down these days. I really can't take it, but the, 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 Opportunities the movie's runtime afforded it to sort of go in a few more interesting directions. I did not mind. The costumes are wonderful. They will be, I'm sure, nominated for various things later this year. Yeah, I meant Um, to say that uh, I know know I'll see Cruella because I know it'll get nominated for costumes. That's fine. Yes. And, uh, you know, Emma Stone is having fun and Emma Thompson is having fun and... Uh, Joel Fry is, I think, really he's great. standout for me. He's really good in, Coming the, off in, the, in the movie also. yeah. <laughs> um, and Paul Walter Hauser is good comic relief. He was also in Itania, so he has a relationship with Craig Gillespie. Uh, that guy, I, yes, I the, uh, enjoy seeing on screen, um, as long as that screen is not my Twitter account, because <laughs> dude has some takes um, that I don't think are always reckoning with the reality of... Uh, of what's happening on our side of the fence, but I really, I like him as an actor and uh, um, I think he does some really strong work here and, and uh, he does feel like a live action version of like a cartoon Disney henchman, which is really fun. Mixed bag, mixed bag <laughs> oh, of yeah. dogs, spotty, if you will. Seven weeks ago on this fair podcast, we mentioned in explicit terms that on this holy day of whatever the fuck day this is, who can tell of it anymore, um, and also when you'll be hearing it, uh, we would be discussing the HBO limited series Mayor of Easttown. And we would be discussing it in its totality. We have refrained. Uh, I think we, we may have done a small segment on the first episode way back when and promised to revisit. I can't remember. But now we have arrived at the segment where we're going to be talking about all seven episodes of the show with full spoilers. Uh, I think it's reasonably safe to say that we all really enjoyed it. Uh, we will have positive things to say overall if you're looking for some sort of 
review-like segment. Um, we, we recommend you go watch it. This episode will still be here when you come back if you haven't I seen it already. I also knew the ending before be... I watched any of it, so if you want to just listen Whoa. to this podcast and then do it, I think the series holds up. Wait, when did you watch? Did you watch it? I watched it over the weekend the after having edited the final Still Watching Mayor of Easttown wow. podcast. I see. Last week, early spoilers. Okay. Yeah, but you had been um, you had been uh, kept up to date on the whole plot by editing, still watching. So you you knew what to expect. I mean, I literally knew what I was getting into when I was watching the whole thing, and we'll we'll I guess get to this. But at some point, He's I was kidding. like, look. If this becomes too copaganda for me, I'll jump off and I'll just fake it mm. through the <laughs> fighting in the war room segment uh, because I did this I, podcast. I would have to imagine it didn't. Yes, it did not. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, we, we will. We will get there. But uh, yes. Uh, so Maryview's Town, um, as I would hope you know by now, if you're still listening to this segment of the episode, uh, is a. Crime drama, uh, whodunit, if you will. Seven episodes, kind of in the style of something like Broadchurch. Um, you know, very much two mysteries, or combining into one, past and present, nodding together uh, to tell a character-based story that is sort of wrapped around a whodunit um, in in East Town, where Matt Patches was raised, uh, <laughs> and um, the very real town of East Town. Matt Patches is a name. The Patches. Family, I feel like could have been woven into the fringes of. Uh, to ex- We're more essential. To really go with all We're of not my Siobhan Patches. We're not a long Siobhan time Chili family. Uh, anyway, um, I, you know, I I really enjoyed this show really from the get go and had a lot of concerns that like a lot of shows of this nature and certainly of the HBO variety, uh, you know, The Undoing. Um, big little lies that it would shit the bed at the end and uh, <laughs> i was really relieved to find that it did not in my estimation but i mean there are uh there are some difficulties with the whodunit genre there are a lot of you know to keep people interested to turn it into a sort of mini phenomenon as they were able to do brad inglesby who created it uh and he also wrote uh the way back the highly recommended ben affleck alcoholic uh uh, basketball, basketball coach, coach drama from before the <laughs> pandemic, and it was directed by Craig Zobel uh, from Compliance, The Hunt, and other things. Um, but I think they they did a, a very good job of of really towing the line between it being this character driven atmospheric drama about a place, about the the you know the idea of forgiveness, certainly self forgiveness is a recurring theme. Um, and also being about these sort of dueling mysteries of who killed Aaron McMiniman, uh, a really fun name to say, and who might have kidnapped or killed the other girls who go missing. Um, and there are, you know, every episode there has to be a new suspect and they have to do that thing where at the end of the sixth episode, they really tee up. You like, they set up one brother, you know, in your head, it's probably a lot more likely that it's going to be the other because that's how these things work. And then when they resolve those two things, in the first 10 minutes of the finale, you know that there's another what? twist waiting to come. <laughs> but, um, the, I, I, I just want to kick things off, uh, when we talk about sort of the tapestry of East town and, and who these people are, that the first thing I really glommed onto about this show was this recurring motif about small-time celebrity and how mm. I found that interesting mm. and puzzling as the show went on. You know, not only do you have Marianne, quotes, Mayor, end quote, Sheehan, uh, the Lady Hawk herself, as the first episode was called, Kate Winslet, um, who was, and this was really the big hook for the show when I first started seeing the trailers for it, 
was this famous basketball player from her town, famous within East Town. I mean, um, and yeah. had hit this this shot in a high school basketball game. And then you have this author, who's played by Guy Pierce, who comes in, who wrote one very popular novel when he was much younger, and is now sort of coasting off that and living his life in reflection of this other man that he was and in the echoes of that success. And then later in the show, you have um, you have Evan Peters as Detective Colin Zabel, which was very funny because the show was directed by Craig Zobel. I have to imagine that's not an accident. Um, I think it is actually a coincidence. Most evidence bizarre. Dave might know from the latest still watching it, it appears to have been a coincidence. Uh, but I was waiting for Dave to pipe in, but he didn't. But uh, the um, who who <laughs> was uh, highly tipped to, to come in and, and help out on some of these cases because he had supposedly solved this uh, really difficult case back wherever he was from. Um, and so all of them, all of these characters, these three major characters have this legacy. They have, they're all put sort of immediately in rivalry with themselves in some way. And so much of the show is not just about, you know, past glory, but much more about um, forgiving themselves for their sins and, and sort of absolving themselves of the role they may have played in the low points in their lives. And even, you know, and, and you know, it specifically resonates in terms of Mare and her son, who was an addict and eventually hanged himself um, and whatever personal responsibility she may feel for that. And then we learn that Colin Zabel's involvement in that case was a little bit more nuanced than uh, he was letting on to other people. And Guy Pierce's character remains remarkably straightforward in a way I found kind of enjoyable. Um, but uh, that was really my first um, my first tenderhooks into to the show. And uh, what I, like there was details like that that really allowed me to continue focusing on the characters. I know you're Joanna Robinsons of the world, and God bless her, are very focused on the mystery and the guessing of it. But uh, and sometimes that's really all a show has to offer. But I I really enjoyed Mayor of Easttown for the sense of place that it created, even if the waves of overlapping trauma and tragedy were not always the most believable and how they play out. I do think that the ends justified the means in terms of some contrivances. I was really satisfied by where it all ended up. And as my very final thing before I pass the baton, I was just rewatching the first episode and how funny that the, uh, um, the first scene in the first episode is the old lady whose name she recently died. This actress who was with uh, Kate Winslet in little children and I'm struggling to remember her name right now. Um, but uh, she was, and she's the husband, she's the wife, rather, of the guy whose shed is robbed. And the very she's first thing about the show prowler. is, it was not just about the prowler, but she says, like, if you just look at the security camera, it'll tell you all the answers you need to know. Uh-huh. Wow, and Mare is like, <laughs> Mare is like, yeah, I'm out of here. Of course, you know, that security camera had that's yet to great. record the crime. But um, I do have questions about the Prowler, but we can get there. Uh, let's move on. What did you guys think about the show? Um, well, I just want to jump off of what you were saying about the Joanna Robinson of the world following the mystery. And I think the power of this show is that if you are someone who is only following the mystery, like, or if the show is only interested in following the mystery, then you would get to this reveal in the final episode and being like, wait, what? Like, this was like not really set up, but the fact that the catharsis of the show is not about figuring out who did the crime, but the emotional resolution. We, we're we're wasn't going full up. spoilers, right? It's like it was pretty set well, up. Hang, I mean, full, yeah, no, full spoilers. And I do want right, to say that I, I wasn't saying that Joanna is no, no, just no, no, watching know, it for this. No, and I think, I think Joanna very is very She's helpful in pulling together the threads, which is that yeah. what doesn't matter is what matters so much less than revealing who did the crime is the emotional catharsis between Mare and Lori. Like that is what the, that that's the resolution of the entire Wait story. 
mean, you don't even, get that unless the show has been as equally dedicated to the people yeah. it's telling the story about as the mystery. I was about to say, like, I, I felt like I was showing up every week both to advance the story, to watch her investigate, because Kate Winslet is absorbing in that way, just playing the cop, playing the detective. That was entertaining. I also wanted to see her go home and drink Rolling Rock with Gene Smart, mm-hmm. um, as Gene Smart plays an app game and is, like, kind of paying attention. Um, as you can imagine, I felt like a lot of connection to this show, and I could not describe all the different ways. But Gene Smart is you like being playing home? my grandma. She's like playing my grandma home. at home. At home, I kind <laughs> of I, now I'm, I I have become very self conscious that I might have more of a Philly accent than I thought. Yours I did. is certain. Your version of it is certainly better than ours. You've uh, got that O down. I'm I'm uh, back going back home for this. Uh, yeah, my, Gene Smart basically playing my grandmother. I did think there was an abundance of Rolling Rock when it should have been Yingling, and that was a very telling fact about Marin that she was an outsider. Um, yeah, I, I, I felt like every part of this show was cooked, uh, in a way that I, it was unexpected. That's what was really sucking me in. I like the Guy Pierce stuff too. Maybe it's all, yeah, it was all just like a red herring, but all of the scenes when they're being romance, like I'm into Mare climbing back romantically. I'm into her therapy sessions. I'm into all of the bits. It's no of more of a red herring stuff. than like Siobhan and her like radio DJ girlfriend, you know? Like I, I felt like the Guy Pierce stuff was all part Wait, of the what? Did you think her... Girlfriend was a red herring. No, that's what I like, mean. Like herring, they are, they are, they are just characters who exist in this world. Yeah. Who do not have well, a lot of people are the theorizing murder. that guy know, must have something to do with the murder. Like, that's what's okay. So, like, this is something Joanna is not. You think that's getting of, in the but, way of? But the, people on the internet are, right. uh, which is you know, not watching the show as it's asking you to be watched. But it's something that allows a show like this to become very successful. But everyone just. Uh, you know, it's the same people who are saying that Don Draper was EB was uh, DW Cooper. You know, it's DB uh, Cooper. Cooper. DB but Cooper. I think the show um, know what it's, it's, knows what it's doing casting Guy Pierce in that role a little bit. It's yeah. kind of like casting Guy Pierce in the first scene of The Hurt Locker, right? It's like yes. huh. I mean, we have a the famous person that... here, and you don't think he can die? He does. We or Guy Pierce in old age makeup a... and Prometheus, and you're like, is there a sequel? <laughs> right, Guy that Pierce is, is the guy I you hire to a... fuck with people. That, that is an effective. <laughs> He's Ray Dunn. It is an effective symptom of his or consequence of his casting. But as Joanna Robinson would tell you, um, you know, he was brought in as a favorite because he's friends with Kate Winslet sort of at the last minute because another actor was replaced. And But it is a really interesting wrinkle to his casting because he is so well known. Um, and it made it all the more satisfying for me that he was actually just exactly as advertised, um, which was fun. He's also a handsome but man. I want that. Not a bad looking man. I hear. Uh, I hear. From sources I cannot disclose that he's also very nice. Well, that's Guy yeah, Pierce. Wouldn't want to reveal who thinks he's nice. No, um, I, I, I signed an NDA. <laughs> um, Dave, why was Mara not enough about cops to keep you on board? <clears throat> no, I mean I think it, no, 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 the, the opposite. The, the, the thing that yeah, it, yeah, I would have liked more about it is actually if she hadn't been the police chief. It's massaged in, but it's actually not as integral as it was because the stuff that I liked about Mayor Beastown is once we we spend episode one learning the layout of like the town and the family and what everybody does and meeting Aaron before she gets murdered and then the murder kicks off and the fun stuff is actually watching other people talk about the murder that isn't Mare investigating the murder. It is, I think, the side stories or the brothers talking to the father or the two uh, parishioners talking amongst each other. The way that the town interacts to this 
Um, it's like the most interesting things, even with Mayor being a cop, I think happen after they take like her badge away and she's forced to be involved in this mystery because she's involved because she can't forgive herself. Very real reasons that are just kind of like non-cop reasons. Um, I really, really liked Evan Peters in his role, which is the only reason why I'm not arguing just for like slicing the Silence of the Lambs subplot out of this series entirely. Because it's definitely the squishiest uh, part of the series. I think the rest is really rock solid and then it sticks its landing, which helps contextualize, I think, the whole series and make it feel... um, like it's bookended by a statement of purpose and then a very satisfying conclusion. I think in the middle episodes, you kind of get lost as to what all of that is. And everyone's sort of in a position where things are consistently getting worse. And because it still needs to be a mystery, we don't understand. Sometimes it seems like uh, things are getting worse sort of counterintuitively to how people should be acting. Is there an example of that that, that comes to mind? Or? Yeah, Dylan, the boyfriend, uh, the way he acts and how aggressive he is, um, he's sort of a person that can be painted in a certain way, like I think a lot of the teenagers of the town. Uh, the story overall, the season overall, the, it's very, it does a very good job of dealing with uh, the opioid crisis in the background and matters of addiction across like race and class uh and who gets affected by that and who doesn't and who's afforded a second chance and what those second chances look like and i think that saves a lot of the grander kidnapping like uh serial kidnapper plots uh which otherwise provided some of my my least favorite stuff in terms of uh i don't know basically yeah like i said pl- like planting silence of the lambs in the middle of this series that otherwise I think was very good about keeping it where like everybody's related and is like a cousin and they all like went to high school and they're all aware of each other's complete history. So when those- I almost needed a game of Thrones, like family tree at one point with like <laughs> yeah, yeah, all yeah, the fucking cousins. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great pilot to watch with the subtitles on because they'll say things yes, like yes. your cousin blank or blah, blah, blah. Like, He'd probably want to have his cousins there and things like that. And you have to be like, oh, okay, cool, awesome. It definitely took me a, a, a few episodes to realize that the, that Aaron's dad was part of the family and that they were yeah. the brothers, not friends. And I was like, yeah. oh, okay, that's gelling. And then like the central relationship really above all others happens to be a friendship and not a blood relation of any kind Yeah, uh, between Mare and uh, the great right. Julianne Nicholson who plays so Maury Ross. Uh, who finally really gets a moment to shine on the national stage, even though uh, she has been one of our finest actors for like two decades now. But I think there's some great parallels between like uh, Drew, um, Kevin's kid, and DJ, just in terms of like you have so many generations of trauma, it echoes out in like this one new chance, and everybody wants to get their fucking hands on a new chance because it means a new chance for them. It doesn't mean like a new chance for this poor kid. Which, you know, eventually, luckily, I think, you know, DJ's going to end up being okay. He gets his surgery. Uh, but eventually, when somebody oh, talks about, you know, how he ended up living with the people he was living with and where his uh, half-brother <laughs> has been for most of his life, it's going to be an interesting conversation. I mean, that half-brother, I mean, listen, if you're going to murder someone, murder someone when you're 13. It's a lot better for you. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, yeah. you know, he's I, don't, he's I do gone. not endorse that. 
<laughs> I'm not saying I, I. I'm just saying if it's an either Matt or. Is coming down strongly anti murder. Anti murder. Uh, well, but you know, I was right. thinking, I was having that conversation with my wife earlier today. They're like, "Yeah, he will probably be able to live as a free man um, not long after he turns eighteen in some capacity." But there are going to be a lot of really awkward Google searches uh, when he goes to get a job or have the first date with someone down the future. Um, but yeah, I mean the uh, yeah that stuff was handled really well, and the stuff with Mayor in relation to her family, I found really heartbreaking and believable the sequence the only sequence that really i understand dramatically what and think it was sort of justified dramatically but right on the line it was incredibly painful to watch was the bathtub sequence from the penultimate episode oh, oh my yeah. god where grandson. she's falling asleep in the bathtub yeah yeah oh even, um, don't do I mean, that to me even though i want to be clear and patches you probably know this too a four-year-old is very capable of Could climbing himself out of, out of the bathtub yes but i think the idea was like that he would have an episode of some yeah, kind sure um and it freaked me uh, out. yeah i mean there's so many things in this show sort of about inherited not only grief and trauma, but also uh, how that manifests not neurologically, but metaphorically through neurological means in the show. Um, mm-hmm. And she's worried about that, that he will have his son's, her, her what the, 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 it's unclear, it's vague, you know, he was like epileptic and he had developmental disorders, uh, whatever yeah. her son had that her grandson might also inherit. But that, at that moment was rough. And I feel like they really There's kind a few of child endangerment scenes. There's yeah. also one where Dylan He's in the hospital He's and the, the baby's oh, screaming and you're like, no, you can't do that. No, don't. Oh, I, that, it never crossed baby. my mind. I that's, guess, I don't know. I guess they no, kind of that's a good example way. about how Dylan, like, I get why he's there, but weak character who just does what we need him to do. I, you know what? Yeah. Oh, I, 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 I He's part of the teenage brigade of destroying evidence who know what thing. happened Dylan, from the very beginning. No, that's weird. The, the destroying the journals is a little odd because it's like, why... Yeah, just tell someone at this point. But I did wonder, Dylan especially, and a, a lot of the teen actors in this, I don't know, and you guys can tell me if this is, do they feel like universal teens, or do they, they feel really familiar to me, and I don't know if it's like philisms, or just like, or specificity there, or they feel they very universal very and very class, well drawn. They feel very class specific to me. So not right. Siobhan, but the other teenagers feel very, very class specific to me. Like I know... The long-haired, uh, long dark-haired, tall, like, he seems like a burnout, but that's just his demeanor that Dylan is. So he doesn't read his false while it's happening. It's just at the end of the series, I'm like, what What was he doing? The girl who I, played I Dylan's I, girlfriend, the, the mean one, yeah. she, she, I know that girl. That, oh <laughs> that was very weird to me. The worst. But I, I think, I, yeah, I completely agree with what Dave was saying, especially, like, the class specificity of these characters. And also, like, how Siobhan sort of stands out from them. I mean, she sort of clearly orients Mayor's family on a slightly higher uh, socioeconomic echelon um, mm-hmm. than the rest of those characters. They are all really effective to me. Even the guy who played DJ is like such a shit. Not DJ. Um, the DJ's <laughs> Even dad. that kid who played DJ the guy, is such the a kid, shit. <laughs> yeah, the kid who played DJ is crap. Um, the guy who plays DJ's dad uh, is such a shithead in the first episode. And, you know, has Dylan, a lot that's real, who we keep talking like, about. Dylan, yeah, right. Dylan. As like a dark, brooding energy. And is obviously not the nicest guy in the world. Um, you know, there was a real... I've just seen that guy something grounded you know? about that character. Yeah, I mean, that scene in the hospital where he, where he tries to suit the baby. The baby that he 
uh, it's unclear at that point. Does he know that the baby is in his? I can't remember. I can't but, remember. Um, up. But, no, he doesn't. No, no, he does he know it's not his. Hospital? He just doesn't know oh, whose it is. Not his. Because right. the right. first par- right. parental test. No one knows until the. Exactly. Mary. The first test is between uh, Dylan and Mayor's ex husband uh, right. from the office. And he, uh, right, he got shot by by Aaron's dad for no reason. And uh, I also yeah, liked, you know, the fact that that Aaron's friend is just like her one characteristic outside of her relationship to Aaron is that she's just really into anime, which I thought was uh, <laughs> a neat touch. There's some great production design <laughs> and poster art in these rooms. Uh, yeah, I liked it. And I also, you know, there was in the penultimate episode, it seems like a real heel turn on her part where it's like she's actually been really shitty the whole time. Or maybe that was two episodes before the end, but I and th- that character ended up in a really believable place for me, which is that you know she's caught in a, between a rock and a hard place, and like wants to do right by her friend, and the guys that were in Aaron's life were difficult, and um, yeah, all that stuff checked out for me. Um, I mean, I think the only element that you know Katie was saying that she really liked all the various little threads that were going on, and uh, most of that I stand by. I'm not sure the therapy stuff had enough i mean especially watching the show right after in treatment uh which is now was leading into its last two episodes it's like the the therapy scenes feel really inserted just to reorient everyone to the lay of the land in terms of yeah, mayor's feeling a, about everything well yeah well device, also right? like the character of mayor the whole point of like the series is she's not gonna talk to anybody she can't talk to anybody right. about that except a mandated right. therapist like, the whole point of her motion to get kicked off the force isn't so much to tell us that she's flawed, because we, like, know that already. It's to get her into mandated therapy so she could give those Kate Winslet monologues. I, I think it really... The <laughs> the overall point, I think, between, like, how we talk about this, or how we're talking about this versus how we talk about, like, other HBO series is, like, everything we're sort of... We, like, liked or disliked, but it definitely all feels like it needed to be there, and I don't think any of it was really stretching um believability to the point where it broke the series even yeah i like that the kidnapping i like that they um i like that brad inglesby is is treating like every bit of character like it's a clue in the grander drama even if it's not a clue for the mystery itself but i mean the last shot of the series is her going back into the attic i found that to be really fulfilling the moral of the story is that houses should not have addicts no. It's like addicts, addicts are never are good news. What are you talking about? Pl- more space, and okay. you don't have to finish them. This is a galaxy brain apartment. Too. <laughs> remember, remember the shootout in the fifth episode. Where does that take place? An Wait. attic. Speaking well, of it's the good that she's in the attic because she could escape to the attic and go down. Come on, no, the yeah. attic is good. We haven't spent enough time talking about Evan apartment. Peters. Speaking of the fifth episode, because you know, in the last two, um, I see. I it's not that I've never liked him in anything. I just wow. didn't. I, I mean, Shit. I didn't watch. I never watched American Horror Story, and that's like where he's done most of his work. I've just like always. Oh, he's just like always kind of always been present. And I thought he was so good in this, and so like believable and offbeat for some for the character he's always played. Like I just, I was really here for everything he was doing. And I was so sad when his character got shot, but also felt like it was right. You didn't think he was playing like a little too like small boy, innocent cutesiness to set up the, um, you know, that, that mismatched date and then his death. Like, I think he was, I think he's very good in the show and it, you know, he was really on my shit list because he was at it in any way involved in WandaVision. 
uh, which I wow. hated with every fiber of my being. Wow. Um, even even though you only played a small part in that, so I, it took me a minute to you know warm up to him here. But I think he was lovely. But there is like a really um, naive element to that character that makes sense by the end when he has his big revelation and plants that kiss on Mary before he gets shot in the head. But uh, it, it was it just felt such a, a little, good contrast to her. To like the their energies were so um, opposite, but also well matched to each other. I mean, I, I just like that the script and the episodes have the economy to give him scenes with his mom and to have mm. like everyone gets moments a- away from Mare. I think that's really important mm-hmm. that it's not whenever Mare meets a character. That's when no, and those are the best screen. parts of the series, which is why I get why, I, you know, obviously and that's why I like Mare's... the mom whose her daughter is missing. She's not just this person who shows up to scream at Mare and to kind of represent something that Mare has failed. She is a person who's like dealing with cancer and she is helping um uh what is the 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 black woman's name whose whose brother is just like running amok and her brother's name is freddie i can't remember her name um like there's Beth? everyone Beth? gets everyone like connects with Beth? other people Beth in this right. town Beth the other woman whose daughter is missing <laughs> i don't know uh yeah. just, characters in the show this is a successful crime version of olive kitteridge and that is why Mm. interesting olive kitteridge great show uh i do want to say before i forget phyllis somerville is the name of the actress who Mm. uh, died in recent weeks and was the older woman in the first episode um i did you guys feel like and i'm sort of on the fence of this myself that they did the mother of um of mayor's grandson uh that they did her dirty in the end i mean like i think the best i think the best moment of the show in terms of just like you know that really really showing the courage of its convictions and and going to a place where i think other shows like this may not have gone is when mayor plants the drugs on her um and you really sort of in that moment understand the way that this woman is spiraling and the lengths to which she's willing to go to sort of set her life right by any means she can, um, and that moment elevates that character, the the you know her former daughter in law to this, or I guess daughter in law. They weren't married, but her um, you know whatever whatever their relation is uh, to uh, Mayor. Um, but it, it really elevates her in the story, and then it just seemed really tidy to me, especially after that episode. That scene, the episode last week, the week before, where she declined the the speed or whatever it was at her late night job. Um, she's working the midnight shift somewhere and it's like, yeah, well, you know, I've actually been using. And so now you're going to get the kid and like, aren't you happy? Like there is of course the idea, this sort of unspoken promise that they have both evolved beyond their mutual hatred for each other and mayor in particular, and they are going to find a way to be on more civil terms going forward. And that's, I guess really all that matters. But I did feel I did feel bad for her. Yeah, I was hoping that, like they, that there would be a more open door for her to go back into their lives. But I kind of feel like the possibility of that happening closed. in the future. Yeah, like there's a nice thing where you like you get the sense that all their lives are going to keep it just going also on feels after true, the show ends. Yeah. Like the whole scenario feels more accurate to what really happens to people. Which sure. Yeah. They can't escape. And this <laughs> goes on and on and on. And it's not. Uh, it, yeah, I, also, I was shout sad out to the, um, for her. Shout out to the actress who plays that character, who is a uh, Kevin Bacon and Kira Cedric's daughter, but is just like she doesn't oh, have wow. that like nepotism child Hollywood child star thing going on. Like she just felt like a real person. I didn't. And Dave, as far as the, the copaganda goes, I, I think it probably checks out that um, Mayor placing uh, planting the drugs on that character and then getting her job back like two weeks later. 
Uh, that pretty su- that pretty much sucks. <laughs> that uh, that chief shocked. or captain or whatever, very bad at his job. I do not, I do not mm-hmm. like him. Yeah, he was a few uh, steps behind at all times. Well, but uh, also, well, it's like the most effective use of the cops in here is when they're like, "Well, uh, we're gonna bring in like the county dude, and it's Evan Peters." And I feel like they could have brought in the county dude, like mm. and like Mayor is so integral to everybody's life that she touches. Like at this point, when they stop making her a cop, like it doesn't remove her from anybody's life. So I kind of wonder if there was just a way to tweak her position in the town, even if she was like the fucking mayor of East Town, like, you know, like fucking like something like that. The focuses I didn't like are on the moments where it's like, oh, she she found the serial killer through her like hard work and detectiveness. But then now it's the moment where if she if she had a gun here, somebody would have survived. I'm like, no, not not really. She ran into an investigation unarmed and like, you know, that's that's what happens. Like there there's mm. there's small little things that are cop again on the side. But this is using police like a 90s thriller uses hackers. They're there to provide a specific plot purpose. It's not an investigation mm. of the police. And so therefore unless it's the captain who I don't like because his character consists of making shitty policing decisions, everybody else has enough depth that I see them as people. Uh, so I'm yeah, okay with that. Yeah, and I think a, a lot of that owes to really excellent casting all the way across yes. the board and it really gives a sense of this like lived-in place. I mean, I'm thinking of people like Neil Huff as the who's so great in, in Spotlight. He plays the, not, not uh, James McArdle, who is also very good, who plays the deacon who has a a dodgy past, let's say. Um, but the uh, the guy who plays like his co deacon, um, and they like that. I think is a Mayor's Mayor's cousin. Like, drinking role. Manhattan's yeah, yeah. with Gene Smart. Yes, he is Mayor's yes. cousin. Oh, he's great. Cousin. Uh, mm-hmm. David Denman, who was really great recently in Greenland of all things, that Gerard Butler film. He plays a Did really. Did you bring up Greenland like figure. a week ago? <laughs> no, yeah, like, during the have. blockbuster episode. Yes, I mean I watched it on the cable this weekend, but I guess I was thinking stuff. about it before that anyway um he is excellent as mayor's ex-husband um and brings a really believable energy as like someone who you could buy as being married to mayor at one point but also very, very to make a life for himself from him i should say Just yeah like perfect beard for this um phil you know mm-hmm. we talked Good about beard. phil somerville Mackenzie lansing who plays dylan's girlfriend brianna del rasso uh oh, really everyone yeah um name. across the board i mean the the actress who plays uh siobhan what a great uh, Siobhan, by the way. Great name. Just a great first name. Always loved that. I, mean, I think ever since she like she and she and Shiv Roy need to uh She's actually the part forces. of the show that I don't know. I, I, I wasn't totally into her character. Like all the her girlfriend stuff and just like yeah. uh, although I really like that wacky moment where she's making out with her the DJ. Um, yeah. and her ex girlfriend is there, and then Gene yeah. Smart gets hit in the face. It's like, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I'm glad that the show has the latitude to be so wacky. Um, I could have used a little bit more about the project, whatever film project she was making in honor oh, of her brother. It would have been awful. I just, I like imagine watching that in class. You no, I don't. I don't that. need to have seen it, <laughs> but I, uh, What's the I, I wanted What's the just maybe a little bit more about her. You know, lingering relationship with her brother. If, if her mom wasn't a cop, mom, that would like have this. been our entire way into getting police records. Was her doing a podcast about her brother? Oh, oh my god! Boy. It's Halloween all um, over again. That's Wait, how we get rid of pop shows. Someone is going to be doing a podcast we just have about podcast someone. Shows about murder mystery. I mean, Whoa. see, that's the thing. 
is if you remove the police from the equation, your your vacuum of solving domestic abuse slash solving cold cases will get filled by professionals in that 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 realm. Sometimes, if it's a cold case, you need a podcaster. That's just the way it goes. Dave, who is who is Betty Brant? That is the Spider Man character who. Andrew Rice who plays. Do not take this uh, detour. Do not take. This no, I just, detour. I just, I'm curious because Andrew Rice who plays Siobhan yeah. is credited I, as I being. She's in both movies. Yeah, she's Spider-Man in both movies. movies. Gallery. She falls in love with uh, Genji or whatever. His she name plays. Is. Uh, yeah, uh, she is. The, uh, she falls in love with Ned in the second movie. And, oh, Ned. Uh, yeah, you're thinking of the the comic the Genki. But uh, she also uh, hosts the high school's news program. Oh, oh yeah, no, she, I remember. She does the she whole plays... bit about the people getting blipped back into reality. Mm-hmm. In sure, sure. She's in The Beguiled, but she's also, she plays... Uh, Her breakout was the Ra- next she, She'll be in Spider-Man Far From Home. She plays Ryan Gosling's daughter in No Way Home. Guys. She'll be in Spider-Man why I... No Way Home. Which, if we're lucky, by the time this releases, we've seen the first trailer for, but knock on wood. Wait. We're going long here, oh, but I, crossing my I, have fingers. A, I have two things that we need to talk about. One, this show is definitely a phenomenon. I feel like everyone was talking about it. HBO Max went down on the night of the finale. Like, <laughs> something brought HBO Max down. It was, it was not the It was the in treatment stands, but you can claim it if you want. How much do you think Kate Winslet has to do with this show being a real success? Do you think that this rides on her performance? Like, I was, I guess, mm. surprised to see her do a show like this. But then again, like, I, you know, she's she not did. in big Mildred movies Pierce all the time. Not that long. That's ago. true. That's true. But that's, I don't know. There's a bit more prestige to that adaptation, and this is, I mean, this is pulpy, and this is, I don't know. This I mean, is, Brad Inglesby is not uh, like. I don't know. The people I mean, I don't know if the show Mildred gets Pierce. made without her, but I think Definitely the show, not. you know, the the show rides a lot on the the writing and um you know probably would have been Does she have a great moment to in some the show? Degree, I guess a, a different more does she have, What's the question? question? If like did she have a great moment where like the show is hinging on her performance in but your Kate mind? But Kate Winslet is never I mean Kate, there have been many great moments in the projects and performances that Kate Winslet's done in the past, but she, I think, one of the reasons she has such staying power as an actor and has had such longevity, you know, as a career, is because she doesn't necessarily need those big moments. I mean, she really gets into the the inner workings of these characters and makes them sort of breathe to life on screen. And I think a character like Mayor, you really, it's more important that you buy her in her day to day life, the way that she moves. Even you know, I think of the really pronounced limp that she has in that first scene, like the way that she sort of carries the the like half embarrassed shame of this role of hitting that basketball shot. Um, it was like embarrassed to go to that, that event in the first episode and talk about it at the bar. Like those are the things that I think contribute to and give the show such a strong foundation and that someone like Kate Winslet can do in a way that seemed effortless. Um, but, and then she, of course, I think nails the, the bigger moments and apparently she and Julian Nicholson are good friends and have a lot of, um, you know, they, they have a lot of trust in one another, and I think that really comes to the fore. I think Julian Nicholson ends up really being the um, sixth man, so to speak, of this show and the unsung hero and, like, how much the last episode really relies on her selling those moments, being that mom who's going through this wild swing of emotions in the span of uh, an, an hour of television um, and then is able to sort of collapse into Mare's arms at the end there because um, there are so many thinking about that episode, I mean, there's so many moments where she knows different things and, right. and is uh, trying to keep up with the information and, and just try to, you know, keep her family going. 
in any capacity. And the way that she and Mayor had always promised to be there for one another, and suddenly it's Mayor who could be responsible for you know, taking that away from Laurie. It's it's heartbreaking and so difficult. And I think like the way that those two actresses are able to navigate that dynamic is really what sells a lot of the more outlandish twists in. Because I think that like you know that that whole confession scene with the thirteen year old kid is a lot to swallow. And even in and of itself, let alone everything that it implies and or implicates. And uh, um, you do really need a lot of Julianne Nicholson sort of sitting there and 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 stewing and like being in sort of mama bear mode while also thinking about her own complicity in this. I mean, there's a lot going on. And I think that that's it's really important that they nail it as actors. Yeah, and I guess that leads into my last question, which is like. There are a lot of jaw-dropping moments in the show. There are a lot of, like, twists. I don't know. I mean, one of the... But a lot of my favorite moments are not like that. I think my favorite moment in the whole series and what was frightening to me was um, when Mare starts getting stalked by that dad who owns mm. the restaurant whose uh-huh. daughter is getting arrested for the assault. Mr. Del Rasso. Um, and such an asshole. And then when um, the mom of the missing girl kind of stands up for Mare. I thought that was really fulfilling. Like this is the show working at all levels where like it pays off to have this many characters. It pays off that for some reason, 80 of them are in the same convenience store, which is not a Wawa. <laughs> it's not a Wawa for some reason. Um, Probably couldn't get the, uh, couldn't the, get rights. the rights to Wawa. That sucks. At least go to Sheets now that they don't have Sheets around there. Um, but yeah, I just, I loved that firecracker moment. And of course the, I guess we haven't really talked about the end that you uh, brought up, David, about about the kid uh, sneaking into the shed, and it could have all been solved in one simple video. But yeah, I, I didn't know what stood out in the series to all three of you um, as we wrap up here. If there's like a moment, I feel like it's full of moments. I'd rewatch this. I'd rewatch the show just to like relive some of that. Yeah, same. Mm. Rewatch uh, Mayor of Easttown. It's good. The last episode doesn't completely shit the bed. That's all I really wanted. <laughs> The undoing, the hex has been lifted. Uh, Will we get a season two? Do you think we'll get another Mary (laughs) Town? I I hope not. I I, hope she's forgiven herself. Oh, God, I hope not. Yeah, no. You don't want another season? No, I want something. I want want a different It's like asking for another season of Mildred Pierce. Yeah, like I want to have (laughs) another thing like Mary Town where another great actress gets to go like be in a fully realized drama series. We finally gave it to not Nicole Kidman this time, and you're already asking us to do it again. More Philly? Can it still take Put it in Philly. Just make a different show. Leave Mare alone. She finally opened that out. Mark of Easttown. New cast. Patches of West Patches Town. of West Town. Hey. Okay, let's wrap. That does it for this week's show. Uh, I think we're about to have a live unveiling of what next week's show is going to be about because Davis had the entire episode to figure out what he wants it to be. Yeah. Okay, I'm down between... Uh, <laughs> it's like an unboxing video. Yeah, I'm down between two... two movies that i like to watch uh because they're dumb uh for different reasons so i'm gonna give you a choice you guys could choose between the disney plus one or the hbo max one that's all oh we don't get to know we only know no 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 i'm just telling you they're both dumb but you get to choose based on the service no i want to choose based on the service i want to choose the disney plus one because we've done i want to choose the hbo max one uh the hbo max one has a greater percent chance of being like 90s trash or 80s trash. They're both, I believe, 80s trash. Oh, okay. Patches, you're the tiebreaker. What's it going to be? 
Um, uh, I'm kind of going with the Disney Plus one here because I think it'll be weirder. Then, ladies and yeah. gentlemen, next week we'll be talking about Flight of the Navigator. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, wait, Katie's <laughs> not even going to be here, and she got a vote? Shit. Oh, that's bullshit. Doesn't matter. But wait, fine. no, I'll be here next No, I'll be here next week. Okay, sorry. Katie has some vacations. Do you want to see young Sarah, Sarah I, Jessica I, Parker I, slash some Paul Rubin's voiceover work for a spaceship movie about time travel? This is your thing. It's on Disney+. Plus. I can't wait. Uh, uh, Yeah, I guess in the meantime, tell people who you are. I'm Matt Patches. Not a flight of an I am uh, a producer. A producer? What the fuck am I talking about? I'm an editor. I'm a work at Polygon. <laughs> uh, I guess I am a producer of Galaxy Brains, another great podcast that you should go listen to. It's only like 40 minutes. Um, and uh, it's about Cruella. It was an amazing episode about fashion. I, I'm astounded. Uh, and we have a website, fightingintheworm.com, where you can listen to like years and years of episodes, or you can be like our amazing listener, Kevin, and leave a comment on fightingintheworm.com. Or our quarter call episode was just an astounding comment. I don't want to dig too deep into it, but I think it involves Transformers movies and a defining moment with Father, and it was like such a good read. Uh, so thank you for sharing that comment, and people can do that. Or yeah, so fightingintheworm.com. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I'm senior film critic for IndieWire. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. You can find me on IndieWire. I do not know what I'm writing about this week because it's the Monday night of a holiday weekend, and. Who knows? Who knows what is happening? Uh, but please go on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review. We'll read it live on the air. It's great fun for all. We won't be talking about whatever subject Katie or Matt decides that we won't be talking about. Uh, if you leave us a review, please spare us from that mysterious indignity. <laughs> from the unknown. Spare us from the unknown at all times. Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at TA7E. You can also listen to me on The Storm. A Lost Rewatch podcast. We are in season six of Lost. Things are happening. Things are happening. Uh, and I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair and on the Little Goldman podcast where we're um, we're also choosing movies to talk about every week. We're doing Oscar-themed rewatches, and this week's is Quiz Show, which I and we'll talk about on the show. I saw it at a weirdly young age, and it holds up. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, A-K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. You can find us all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where um, maybe Dave will reveal the HBO Max title he was choosing from, or you can answer this week's lightning round question. Which was, In honor of The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, what's your favorite cinematic witch? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. To drink from the sweet fruit of the vine, the water of life. The blood of the risen Christ, my child. I'm done.